Oral questions by members? Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, every day British Columbians are finding it harder to get by under this government that seems to think they can tax their way to affordability. New figures released today show that the provincial average housing price is well above $1 million, up 24% alone last year, and in fact 34% on the island. At the same time, Vancouver has the highest gas prices in the country and set a record of over a buck 80 a litre this weekend. The answer to everything from this Premier and Finance Minister has been a blizzard of new and increased taxes, and it simply has not worked. Will the Premier admit that his approach of trying to fix everything by taxing his way out of it for affordability has failed? Honourable Premier. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I want to thank the member for his question. Although I, I do uh, reject the premise, I do understand, and not just in my community, but communities right across British Columbia and indeed across Canada, people are struggling. Affordability is the number one issue in poll after poll after poll, and that's not just what we see in the papers. We're seeing this in our constituency offices as well. But I do reject the notion that uh, the member wanted to leave the public with that somehow we were taxing people. We were doing away with taxes, here, Honourable here. Speaker. The medical services plan. The medical services premium plan that was baked in by the former finance minister, now the leader of that party, was built to go up year after year after year, and we've eliminated it, putting money back into people's yeah, pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the very same, the very same form, former finance minister, Honourable Speaker, used to use uh, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia as his own ATM machine, taking hundreds of millions of dollars out of the corporation, therefore out of people's pockets. What did we do? We're putting people money back into people's pockets by reforming the system to make it more effective to protect those that are hurt in an accident and making sure they can do it in a cost-effective way. We provided a child opportunity benefit, and all of those in, in here and, of course, back at home who have children over the age of six, when the former government did away with the uh, child benefit, now will be able to collect that benefit, some $650 for a family of two children, till the age of 18, because we all know that kids get more expensive, not less expensive. Talk about uh, doubling childcare spaces. I could talk about the new supply we're bringing on to reduce home costs, but I'm sure there'll be a supplementary question. I don't want to save. I want to save something for the end. <laughs> Member for Campbell's North Thompson Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And the Premier and his uh, gang of the Mutual Admiration Society over there may think that life's more affordable in this chamber. Maybe it's not in the real world. I hate to break it to the Premier. The average family of four is paying over $3,600 more in rent under the NDP. You need to earn an extra $50,000 this year just to try to afford to buy a house. And in fact, if you had to fill up your minivan when the Premier took office, it would take about $95. Today, to take the kids to play soccer, $140. $45 more to fill up your car under this Premier's watch. And a nearly a third of that cost is taxes going up, the highest tax gas in North America. Grocery costs are skyrocketing. Beef and pork costs are up 18% after six straight months of high inflation. Nothing from this Premier. And if you're looking for a home to start a family, Premier has made it impossible. We already know rents have gone way up. It now takes, last year under this Premier's watch, 34 years to try to be able to afford a down payment of a home. Now it's 36 years. 
Will the Premier finally admit he has failed to tax his way to affordability? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And again, that, what I love about the BC Liberals is when they get a narrative, they just stick with it. Forget the facts. Forget the reality on the ground. This is our position, and we're going to stick with it. We somehow raised taxes, Honourable Speaker, for ordinary British Columbians when we did the exact opposite. We reduced costs. The, uh, the member from Kamloops wouldn't have had to pay an unfair toll to cross the Portman Bridge. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, he would have. But all of the members in Surrey on this side of the House are here because this government is putting people first, reducing costs right across the board. He mentioned, he mentioned rent increases, and I just want to highlight that under the old regime, it would have been 2% plus inflation. Well, we took that 2% away, and what does that mean for someone living in Someone living in Abbotsford, that's $750 less for rent in a year. In Kelowna, Kelowna there's, there's, there's even more than that at $930. And if you live in Burnaby, your rent's $1,000 less than it would have members, been on your watch, order. So I appreciate you've got a line order. and you need to stick with it. But when facts get in the way, you should stand up and say, I'm sorry, I was incorrect. The Premier's right. They're reducing costs for British Columbia. Leader of the Official Opposition. Well, I, I don't know what alternate universe the Premier is living in, but let's be clear. Can you imagine how infuriating it would be if you were sitting at home today trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet? And what do they hear? A Premier standing up and patting himself on the back when they are struggling day after day? The Premier, not once, but in two elections, promised British Columbians that he would make life more affordable, and it hasn't worked, and he knows it. Let's be clear. British Columbians need and deserve better. They need more help. They need more support. The people of British Columbia have sat by for five long years watching this NDP Premier make promises about how life was going to be more affordable for them. And look, let's look at what he said when it came to gas prices. What did the Premier do? Well, here's what he said, and I quote, if there's an opportunity to have the province step in and help, we'll do that, end quote. Well, here we are, five years. What did the Premier do? He built a website that cost $640,000 in one year for a website and did absolutely nothing to bring down gas prices. So maybe the Premier can get up again and explain to British Columbians how he broke his promise that he was going to deal with gas prices and instead did nothing. Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And again, another example of the Liberals grabbing onto something. I think that what we discovered in 2017 and again in 2020 is the people that used to raise costs for British Columbians were rejected not once but twice by the people of British Columbia, and they will be again. We have spent every single day listening to British Columbians and reducing the costs that were imposed upon them by the former government, whether it's medical services premiums, whether it's tolls, whether it's putting in place a speculation tax to get the money laundering and the speculation out of our housing market and taking those revenues and driving it into building more supply. We have built, Honourable Speaker, and I'm delighted to look at the two members from Kamloops, we have built more student housing at Thompson Rivers University than they built in 16 years, Honourable Speaker. So, it's all well and good. 
it's all well and good for the Leader of the Opposition to say, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Let's make up some stuff about the economy. The people of British Columbia have been working hard for the past two years, working with their communities, Members. working with the business community, with organized labour, to have the highest minimum wage in the country, to make sure that we're putting people first. That's why we're here and you're over there. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. <laughs> Well, we're used to this, uh, that the government side of the House talking about years back, but I think if I'm correct, those uh, student uh, housing units were built in 1986. Sure, sure. That's even further back. So maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Members, let's have some order, please. Order. <laughs> Members will come to order. Continue. Maybe it's time for the Premier to actually look in the mirror when he talks about who taxes. Uh, this Premier, I can't actually keep up with the number. It's either 23, 24, 25. I think it could be 25 new or increased taxes on that Premier's watch. Exactly. In, in, Instead of concentrating on generating revenue in British Columbia, this Premier relies on one thing, and that's British Columbians' back pockets. He has done absolutely nothing about gas prices. Well, in fact, he has. He's actually made it worse. Let, let's be clear. This is the Premier that wasted millions of dollars on a failed legal battle to do what? To actually pro uh, protest the TMX project, only to find out that that supply was critical to gasoline in British Columbia, and boy, didn't we find that out during this year's devastating floods. In 2018, the Premier said this, and I quote, we're monitoring gas prices and we will take steps if it's necessary, end quote. Well, a question to the Premier today. Four years later, people are struggling to get by every single day. He promised Life would be more affordable. So to the Premier, just when exactly is the right time for him to keep his promise on gas prices in British Columbia? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I guess the uh, official opposition doesn't get access to the same economic data that they used to. But if they had, they would know that BC has the strongest economy in the country, the lowest unemployment rate in the country despite the most challenging two years in BC history, whether it become because of the global pandemic or natural crises from, from the unimaginable over the past two years. But in the past four and a half years, real wages have gone up by 24%. And what did they go up the previous four and a half years? 5%. So the small-minded thinking of the people on that side of the House, Honourable Speaker, was keeping wages down. We've seen the highest unemployment, uh, highest minimum wage in the country, as well as the strongest economy. And I guess that makes them uncomfortable, yes, Honourable Speaker, because the only reason that they stepped onto a podium in an election campaign was to say, we're better than the other people. Well, it turns out you're not. We're all in this together, but we're on the side of people. You're on the side of the big corporations. Member for Saanich North End Islands. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the Minister of Health will know, access to a primary health care service in Saanich, North and the Islands is impossible. In fact, the situation is getting more challenging as doctors in my riding are retiring. Access to a family doctor was a top priority of mine in 2017 when I was first elected, and I hosted the minister to a town hall in Sydney. Now, five years later, and 
thousands of my constituents still do not have a relationship with a primary health care service. This government put some effort into creating a primary care network and urgent care clinics, but there are still more than 800,000 British Columbians in British, uh, without a family doctor. That's nearly 15,000 in my riding alone. The uh, urgent care clinics are not meeting the needs of our community, uh, Mr. Speaker. The minister knows that without consistent, reliable primary health care, the result is negative long-term outcomes for my constituents and an increased burden on the public health system. Mr. Speaker, I'm interested in knowing, does the Minister of Health believe in the equitable service of health care to all British Columbians? Minister of Health. Uh, the member will know because we've worked together on some of these issues in, the, in his constituency in the South Island, the commitment of the government to addressing primary care in our communities. It's meant, for example, an increase well above the increase in the population in family practice doctors across BC. It's meant primary care networks, four in the Victoria primary care networks, two in the South Island, which includes uh, his constituency, which are significant investments in primary care across the South Island, $70 million just for primary care, just in the South Island. That's four PCNs in Victoria, two in the South Island, five urgent and primary care centres, three community health centres, which is a model that had not been encouraged for quite a long time, but we've worked together to, with communities to do, and a team-based nurse practitioner-led centre in Victoria. These are significant efforts that show across the board the effort that needs to be made to do exactly what the member is talking about, which to ensure people have access to primary care. What's also important, as he knows, are existing practices. And it's important to support them, and that's why primary care networks were developed with family practitioners, with divisions of family practice, to meet those needs. Those challenges will continue, because as he, as he notes, there are some challenges, especially in the South Island, with the, with populations of uh, professionals aging as well as the broader population, but it's something we have to continue to work together on to ensure people have equitable access to primary care. Member for Sandwich North and Island, supplemental. Well, the minister finally got to uh, the point of the question, which was to, I, I, I guess, to suggest that he believes in the equitable delivery of primary care uh, to all British Columbians, which is important. Because despite all of the numbers that the minister uh, just rattled off, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the situation in my constituency is not improving. In fact, uh, it's getting worse. And in fact, across the province, there is a growing inequity in the access of primary care. Last summer, dozens of desperate uh, constituents of mine whose doctor's clinic introduced a $50 quote, annual continuity of care allowance, end quote, wrote me seeking my advocacy. While they reluctantly uh, paid the fee to keep their service, they were right to point out that it goes against the promise of universal, equitable health care for all British Columbians. Other clinics are also looking at the option of these membership fees. Mr. Speaker, now a multi-billion dollar corporation is getting into the business. TELUS uh, Health My Care provides a virtual walk-in clinic billed uh, to MSP insurance. Uh, but if you want a so-called premium service, uh, like annual screenings, preventative health, and advanced diagnostics, services which used to be part of a basic primary health care, you would have to pay for that uh, out of your own pocket. 
So, Mr. Speaker, what does the Minister of Health say to my constituents who are now being forced to pay a membership fee for basic primary health care? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, first of all, I would say that we brought in force in, uh, in 2018 provisions of the Medicare Protection Act to protect people against extra billing. That we did that because we fundamentally believe in public health care, just as, just as we've done in his constituency, in bringing home support into, back into the public system, in bringing workers back into the public system across the board. We have made those changes. With respect, with respect to the question of, uh, of employee-based plans, where you see people playing for non-medically necessary services beyond the health care system. No, the, the member may listen to that. What, we, what we've done and what we'll continue to do, we have in BC a Medicare Protection Act. We have a Medical Services Commission. Their job is to enforce that. And that very question I've referred to the Commission to ensure that the law in British Columbia applies to everyone. Everyone's treated fairly. Everyone's treated equitably. equitably and our universal health care system applies to everybody. Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, 230 days ago, uh, the village of Lytton uh, burned to the ground. And sadly, to this day, residents are still waiting to get back to their, their home properties, seven and a half months later. They feel abandoned uh, by this NDP government. Now, as Lytton evacuee Peter Brown says, and I quote, to me, there seems a complete lack of compassion from our government. It's been too long to not have a home, end quote. So my question to the Premier is this. Can the Premier tell the people of Leyden why after seven and a half months they have still not been able to go back to their homes? Solicitor General. Thank you, um, Honourable Speaker, and I <coughs> thank the member for the, uh, for the question. And obviously, it is a very challenging uh, time for residents of Lytton. But what I can tell you, the member, is that government is committed to the rebuilding of, of Lytton, working with the community so that people can get back into their, into their homes and that they can rebuild. We've been working closely with the, the City Council by providing support in terms of their ability to do their administration. We provided those who had to evacuate the $2,000 initial payment over and above the supports that they get, recognizing that this is, a, uh, this is a challenging time. We have ensured with the Red Cross providing funds uh, that those who have been evacuated can be uh, and are able to have the supports that they need uh, for their community. There have been commitments made in terms of the rebuilding of the civic infrastructure, uh, whether it is the RCMP uh, station uh, the rest restoration of uh, Canada Post services, and the, the provision of medical uh, services uh, through the, the, uh, the, the, the facilities that are on the, the First Nations community. Uh, we are working very closely, and we are absolutely committed to ensuring the rebuild of Lytton. It is a challenging, it is a challenging location. There's no doubt about that. But we will be with there, there with them to ensure that the community is rebuilt and that people can get back into their homes. Opposition House Leader, supplemental. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, 
if, if the minister and the premier uh, were to take a moment and think about the residents of Lytton, people who are, are living somewhere other than their, uh, where their, their home used to be in their hometown, and, uh, and, and try to imagine how it must sound to hear the same words over and over and over again. We're committed to rebuilding. We understand it's challenging. We're gonna do everything that we can. It's been seven and a half months, and these residents of Lytton, they want to go home. And there's no path uh, for that to happen. There's been no timelines given for that to happen. Now, Mr. Speaker, uh, when this government wanted to impose a $10 uh, FOI fee, they did that in an instant, literally within minutes, they, they made that happen. They managed to, 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 to instantly put, uh, put, that in, put that in place. But when it comes to addressing the desire, the right of people who live in Lytton to get back to their properties in Lytton, seven and a half months later, and they're still, have, they still have no idea why they can't go home. Resident Britannia Glasgow says, and I quote, it seems everybody is defeated and feeling like they aren't being heard. I think I've heard six or seven of my friends tell me that they don't think that anybody cares about the little people in Lytton, end quote. That's resident Britannia Glasgow reflecting a sentiment widespread amongst the residents of, of Lytton. Mr. Speaker, people deserve action. They deserve detailed answers. They deserve specific timelines. So again, to the Premier, are archaeological assessments being required for every person's property? And if so, who has to pay for it? And what's the timeline for getting them done? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And again, uh, thanks to the member for the question. Um, there is no doubt that this is a frustrating time um, if you're a resident of Lytton. And people want to get back home. And absolutely, we want them to get back home. And as I said, it is, a challenging, it is a challenging situation. Recovery does take time. It's an ongoing process. Um, one of the critical areas in terms of people being able to return to their homes is the issue of debris removal. Now, one of the areas which, um, that was challenging around that was the closure of Highway 1. And as I have said, that uh, with the opening of Highway 1, we expect debris removal to move at a much faster pace. It has already been removed for municipal streets. Uh, now, tomorrow evening, uh, the city or the community of Lytton, the municipality of Lytton, is holding a council meeting. At that council meeting, it is my expectation that they will be approving a contract for debris removal. That contract is going to be uh, to remove debris from residential property. It will be aligned with the insurers who are dealing with the insured properties in terms of that removal. And that removal is anticipated to start on the 8th of March. Member for Caribou North. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The challenge with the government as they make these responses is that they're truly forgetting about the people of Lytton. And for Denise O'Connor, who's made her life in Lytton, she's incredibly worried about the future. 
and I want members to think about her words. There's the trauma of the day of the fire. There's the trauma of the uncertainties. My neighbour who just turned 85 years old is still living in a hotel in Merritt. She doesn't know where she's going to be, end quote. Seven and a half months later, and residents are still waiting. Gisoa Lightfoot, a former mayor of Lytton, and she says, and I quote, and I want members to please listen to the people of Lytton. It's just an empty pit down there right now. You can't get your mail. You can't go to the doctor. You can't go to the pharmacy. You can't meet your friends. And you really worry about how long it's going to take to get people back. Mr. Speaker, I've heard what the minister has said, but in Fort McMurray, the government had a phased re-entry plan with families returning just 29 days after the entire city was evacuated. By the first anniversary, three dozen families had already moved into new homes. Seven and a half months later for the people of Lytton, and what are they faced with? Nothing is happening on the ground. Empty, hollow words from this government. Mr. Speaker, if the government can't get the job done, will they at least let the residents in so that they can start rebuilding their lives? Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, thank you uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the member. Um, and I understand the comparison that the, uh, the member wants to make with, uh, with Fort McMurray, uh, but there are significant differences between the two communities. And I would point out to the member that while, yes, there were some initial uh, people going back very quickly, two years later, that recovery is still ongoing. Recovery takes a long time. There has been a lot of work done to ensure that people can return and that when they return, it is safe to return. Many of those properties, what had to be done was the assessment of the, the, uh, the toxic uh, materials on site, the sifting that was done so that people could go back and get their personal possessions. That was covered by government. The uh, $2,000 payment, ensuring that they don't have to worry about accommodation and the supports are there in place, continue to be there. I see the member shaking her head, but the reality is this, the Red Cross is providing those supports and the Red Cross money comes from the province and the federal government and donations, okay? They are delivering that, those supports, which is the right thing to do. And they will continue to do that as long as those people need that support. At the same time, we're ensuring that, that working with the community, with the council, that they have the capacity and the ability to rebuild that community. That's why uh, the $8 million was provided to them, uh, more than 2.1 to run the operations, but to the rest, the balance of six, to ensure that wastewater systems can be up and running, that they can deal with a number of the archaeological issues. That's support by this government, and we will continue to be there. And as I said a moment ago, with the council meeting tomorrow night, the approval of a contract to remove debris aligned with the insurance companies on those uh, properties, for example, that have insurance, and we're working on those that, that don't have, that that debris removal will take place starting the 8th of March. That is going to allow people then 
to be able to have look forward to going back and starting that rebuilding process. And we will be with them, as I've said, every step of the way, and that is very much concrete action. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Ken Matsumoto is a fellow in his, in his 60s. He's a licensed mechanic, and in the spring of 2021, he bought a place on Main Street in Lytton. He was uh, living there. He was operating his vehicle repair business, and then fire swept through the town, as we all know, and uh, wiped Lytton from the map. From the map. Uh, in the aftermath, uh, Ken was uh, given access to a hotel in, in Langley. And just before Christmas, um, he was told he was going to have to leave. And to the minister's credit, and I do want to give credit where credit is due, uh, the minister intervened and he was able to, to stay in that hotel. He is grateful for that and I am grateful as well. Um, he's coming up to another deadline. He's told that tomorrow he has to leave uh, the hotel. Ken doesn't want to live in a hotel. He doesn't want to go to a shelter. He wants to go home. He'll take a wheelbarrow and a shovel and he'll clear a spot and he'll move a trailer on the land that he bought with every dollar he had. He paid cash for it. In the spring of 2021 he took all the money he had and he bought that property. And it's his property. He's not homeless. He has a home. But the government won't let him go back to his home. We have seen this in BC tragically in the past where fires occur. But I don't think we've ever seen it take this long for people to be allowed to go back to their home and begin rebuilding, Mr. Speaker. The minister says it's, it's challenging. Well, it's particularly challenging for people like Ken. They want to know, they deserve to know, Mr. Speaker, when can they go home with their shovel, with their wheelbarrow, and their trailer and begin living at their home again. Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I uh, appreciate the, uh, the question from the member. Um, we all want to see um, residents of Lytton be able to go home. Absolutely. There's no, nobody in this House that doesn't want to see that happen. That's why I think it's critically important in terms of that Council meeting tomorrow night and the approval of that, of that, uh, of that contract. Um, and the debris removal starts on the 8th of March. That is, that is going to be the most crucial step in terms of a resident with a home wanting to go back to be able to, to start that rebuilding process. And at the same time, we ensure that the community of Lytton, that community which was completely wiped out, so no functioning uh, civic offices, um, has the ability to actually function as a town, and that's why we've provided the supports that they have. That's why we've uh, tabled that, that legislation um, that will ratify uh, the bylaws uh, for, the, uh, for the community of Lytton. All of those things are, are key parts and key, 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 key points in terms of that rebuilding process. 
but we want to see it as quickly as possible um, and we're going to work as hard as we can to ensure that takes place. The balance caution period.